0: Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on LP 102.9 FM, Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. We're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then when we come back, we're going to start unpacking the topics of today's show. 3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman, and you're listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So there's never <laughs> there's never a shortage of things to discuss. So I'll just jump right on in. Uh, I do want to continue uh, with a few themes uh, that I have been discussing at length for the past, actually, few months. So I will talk about the Massachusetts Republican Party, the need for uh, plurality of thought. I will continue to talk about elected officials and the expectations for them, what they should be doing, uh, what they should not be doing. And uh, I also want to talk about why I believe there is kind of a standstill as in Boston is at a standstill right now, um, and it, it's in part because of some of the other issues that I'm going to talk about. Um, but it's also because I think that there is a unique culture that has installed in Boston, and it's not a particularly good one. So uh, let's just let's just get started. So I think what I'll do is I'll start by talking about Boston being at a standstill. It it really is, because there are not any new ideas coming forth. And really, quite honestly, the quality of some, not all, certainly not all, but the quality of of some of our elected officials, uh, particularly at municipal level, it really is concerning to say the least. we we, as in we, the people, voters, residents of the city, we have come to expect that elected officials are just going to simply learn on the job. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. So maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't be saying we. Uh, Because certainly I've never been someone that has been a fan of people propelling themselves into the public spotlight or working toward being in the public spotlight only not to have anything to say. That that really actually angers me. I think that if you want to serve the public, I think if you want to be a public figure, have a public profile, you need to have a certain body of knowledge about what it is that is keeping you in the spotlight, that is what has propelled you into the spotlight. You can't stand up to talk about an issue, any issue, (laughs) not know what you're talking about. It's got to stop. It just, it has to stop. And so Boston really, we are at a standstill, as I said, we're not making any real progress because no one is really thinking differently and the loudest voices in the room i mean there are some people who have good ideas there are some elected officials that are fantastic we we are we are fortunate enough to still have some elected officials that are really very good but there are far too many right now that aren't good at all and that is the problem and they are unfortunately sucking all the oxygen out of the room and it's not just them it's also the activists who who can't get elected or who want to be elected to public office and and they just make a lot of noise and as they can't get elected to office or they're not in, in say, as a favorable position as someone else, uh, they'll just settle for making noise and getting attention. And just the result is that you have uh, really kind of this stagnant situation and you have a cacophony of of <laughs> just, I don't know what, like... Just political jabberwocky and like this ugly manifestation of gross ego, because because that's what it really is. You have all these people who demand to be heard, but again, you <laughs> you can't stand up and demand to be heard and expect to be heard about an issue, about a problem. Again, without knowing what you're talking about. And for me it's it's just really frustrating to to to, to really kind of sit back and take all this sense. So I'll give some very concrete examples. When I ran for Congress in twenty twenty, I went down to Methanol Mile certainly not the first one to go down there, that is, and certainly not the first one to draw attention to the dismal, grim conditions there. I was, however, the first one to go down there and talk about the entirety of the ecosystem because there is this insistence on placing the entirety of the focus on the addicts, on the junkies. And for those of you who are offended by me using the term junkies, you're going to have to be offended because I'm not going to stop using that term. People are no less deserving of dignity, of being able to live with dignity. having a substance abuse problem. But my concern is is that in this push to remove the stigma around addiction, and then by extension, addicts, talking about the addicts, and the addicts themselves talking about their, their problems, we have decided that if we're going to talk about addiction and recovery, everything is then got to be about the addicts. And I disagree because you have family, you have friends, you have colleagues that are impacted by the behavior of addicts or junkies, whichever term that you want to use. And again, for the people that don't like that I use the word junkie, I don't really want to hear it because those are the same people. And I'm not saying the term junkie to be offensive or antagonistic or, you know, just really to invite uh, any kind of uh, negative response or elicit any kind of uh, reaction, adverse reaction. It's just, I don't feel like policing my language tonight. I really don't because I think that's also part of the problem. I think that we, and I I can uh, touch upon this a little bit later in the show, but I think that we as a society in general, we have become far too preoccupied by choosing the right words for fear of hurting someone's feelings. And while I'm not suggesting that we should be hurting people's feelings, I think we should be honest. So let me jump back maybe more to the matter at hand for this particular segment of the show. When I went down to method Mile, I was the first person to talk about the entirety of the ecosystem. Now, the fact that I talked about the businesses impacted and then I talked about the schools, the children, the young, young children on Methadone Mile who, you know, who go to school right there and the faculty, the business owners, the residents, the fact that I talked about all of them too didn't mean that I cared about the addicts any less. But you can't talk about the addict without talking about his community. You just simply can't. And when you have, I mean, at this point, I I really think that Boston is overrun with with drugs. We really, truly are. It's a very, very serious problem. And, you know, currently the subcommittee on the Boston City Council, you know, because there are several subcommittees, for those of you who might be a little less familiar with the Boston City Council, there are a number of subcommittees. And one of them deals with addiction, recovery, homelessness, and human trafficking, um, believe it or not, is like shoehorned uh, under there as well, wrongly. And I can, you know, get to that as well later in the show. Uh, it's it's home by uh, counselor Erin Murphy, and she hasn't done anything. She really hasn't. And before her, it was Anissa Sabi-George, and Anissa didn't do anything either. And, you know, people are like, but, but, but Anissa did this and she did that. And, well, what is this and that? You know, people... People, you know, it's it's they feel like they have to say something. And so they struggle to say something. And they struggle to say something because, again, Anissa didn't do anything. So they come up with something that really might not even speak to the responsibilities or the activities that you would expect uh, for someone acting in the capacity as the chair of Subcommittee on Addiction, Recovery, and Homelessness uh, on the Boston City Council. I mean, really, between the two of them, they just, they've done nothing. And I know some people are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, Erin Murphy has spoken out about her own journey uh, to sobriety, towards sobriety, and uh, she has raised money to combat uh, to fight heroin addiction, and I applaud that. I do. I applaud anyone who has managed to come back from the heroin experience of of, of having an addiction that has engulfed you in your life. It's 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 something that anyone should be commended for. And I appreciate and applaud that she has raised money to fight heroin addiction. But that, her own personal journey, while I applaud it, that hasn't, (laughs) what has that done to change the conditions on methadone mile? It hasn't. It hasn't done, it hasn't done anything and her raising money, what has that done? I mean, that hasn't done anything for what is transpiring on methadone Mile. And so she, uh, I guess, went down there, and this is what maybe some of her supporters would point to, uh, to, to counter what I'm saying, uh, she went down there maybe once or uh, definitely once, maybe twice. Uh, yeah, once, once maybe twice to pick up needles. And I don't really see the point in that. That is not, that's not changing anything on the mile. That's not making a difference because I'm going to tell you, because I lived around methadone mile for nearly six years. I walk. I've walked Methuen Mile by myself at all times of the day and night. I'm going to tell you that picking up needles is doing nothing, nothing. And her going down there wearing a t-shirt with her name on it—that it, just—I mean, it just comes off as—is—is as, as, it's—it's a photo op. So what is that doing to to change the situation? And, and there was a hearing held on the conditions of, of the park in which she was picking up needles, so Clifford Park. Now, while I appreciate that members of the community are directly impacted, immediately impacted, by Clifford Park, maybe because they live adjacent to the park, or maybe because uh, in one in one instance or one context, you have Domingos DeRosa, who has run for the Boston City Council. Um, he, you know, he has stated that, well, I run a business out of there, and I've been with Domingos at that particular park, uh, you know, while he is, you know, retrieving equipment that he keeps locked up. But I got to be honest. I mean, (laughs) for everything that I write and people say, my goodness, she's blunt. I don't really feel like I've been as honest and I don't feel like I've spoken as freely as I maybe should have, not could have, should have, right? Should, think about that. You know, I, I appreciate that there was a hearing held on that, but I really, I felt like it was a tremendous waste of time because the issue was never Clifford Park. The issue is methadone mile. And if you want to talk about how bad methadone mile is, well, then you can use Clifford Park. You can talk about an area within the mile. Talk about it. Describe the conditions, what transpires there, so that people can have a real grasp of just how bad that general area is. But to have a hearing about a part of the mile as if This is an issue unto itself, as if maybe even that it's somehow new terrain that we're covering. I found it insulting because it's just so far from being the truth. But also, because we have such a serious issue down there, because it's such a a crisis down there, it's a boiler pot situation— uh, boy uh, 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 boiler uh, cooker situation I just I found it I I just I was angry and, and it was just I mean to what end and I just I feel like when we're in a situation when we're in a predicament that is is so serious. I don't feel like we have the luxury of just fiddling around and, and, and just kind of groping around as if like the lights are all turned off and we're trying to feel around to, to make our way and figure out where we are. We don't have that luxury of time anymore. Because the can was kicked down the road for so long, we're at a point where there's nowhere else left to kick the proverbial can. And so we don't have time to focus on a piece of the situation as if we're treating the whole situation or as if we're treating somehow, as I said, a, a, a new situation. When I ran for office, I presented a plan. I think that if you're going to helm The committee, the subcommittee on addiction, recovery, and homelessness, and I don't think homelessness should be shoehorned under there either, um, but I can get to that as well. Um, I, I think that you should have some kind of plan, And quite honestly, because at the end of the day, the problem in, you know, uh, all the problems that take place on methadone mile, methadone mile itself, because it's such a a crisis, I think that it behooves every city councilor to have a plan. You know, my favorite was listening to people talk about Frank Baker. Frank Baker, Frank Baker, Frank Baker, Frank Baker. You know, and so you had some people who were really like, you know, really coming for him um, online and, and off. You know, well, what is Frank Baker doing for the situation? Excuse me, what is Tanya Fernandez Anderson doing for the situation? Yes, it is true that Frank Baker does have... Part of his district is in method Mile, but a lot of that area is, is Tanya Fernandez-Anderson. And what has she done? So that's why I say that this shouldn't be just something that Erin Murphy should be working toward addressing. It, it, it Because it's become such a huge problem and such a drain on resources for the rest of the city in terms of sometimes uh, uh, police, uh money to you know, for what um, housing for treatment, I mean just it's it's just it's become an area in the city that demands more than its fair share of attention that demands, Quite frankly, an exorbitant amount of resources, and so the rest of the city has to adjust, and so that's why I don't think any city council can really sit there and and not have something to say about Methadone Mile. I think that every city councilor should consider Methadone Mile. Consider the money that's being pumped into that area and think about how it impacts adversely his or her district or area. And if we're talking about an at-large counselor, how does it impact the rest of the city, right? I mean, this is what needs to be done, so it's not just on Erin Murphy as the chair of the subcommittee, but one would hope that she would have something to say, something of substance, which hasn't been the case because she is the the, the chair of the subcommittee. But really, it's everyone. But unfortunately, there have only been a few counselors who have been able to talk intelligently about what goes on down there. And that that's not that. <laughs> That's not good enough for me. And so this leads me to the point where if I'm talking about an elected official, an elected the dep- <laughs> elected officials they need to know their constituency. They need to be prepared to represent their constituency. And they can't offer platitudes. They have to know the issues that are impacting their constituencies, a constitu- uh, their respective constituencies, uh, the councilors in general, not just the Boston City Councilors, elected officials in general. And quite honestly, it's a good idea to know about the issues that impact adjacent constituencies. I just... We have people now who hold public office and they're elected because they have the right backing. They have the right name. They were able to ingratiate themselves with the right people. They tick all the right boxes. But what they don't have more often than not, is knowledge, basic knowledge of the issues that are impacting the communities that they hope to represent. What they don't have increasingly is the ability to articulate what is going on and solutions. They lack the patience to try to find out what's going on. And they, quite frankly, dial it in most of the time. We allow more than a few of our elected officials to, uh, and again, maybe I shouldn't be saying we, to really just kind of go off and do whatever they want. They 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 kind of make of the office that they hold what they will. And I have a huge problem with that. You run for an office, you got to know what the responsibilities of that office is. And you have to be prepared to present a case to the people that you hope to represent that you have the requested experience to be able to execute at the minimum the basic duties of the office to carry them out. And and if that can't be done, if that's not being done, that person doesn't deserve to hold office. I mean, we, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's infuriating that we just, ha- we have people that it's all about social media. It's all about branding. No, what it should be about is the people and about solutions and about quality of life, which the solutions are meant to address the quality of life, that is, and and ensure that there is a certain quality of life and that it's maintained. So I think there should be expectations that people have a minimum of knowledge, that they have experience that is going to allow them to actually perform the job. And they have to be prepared to represent everybody in their district. There is no reason imaginable... (laughs) Why someone should stand up and say, well, I'm a person of color, so I'm going to represent people of color in my district. No, you represent everybody. You know, I'm tired of Julia Mejia standing up and talking about black and brown people. First of all, I don't know what she's done for black or brown people. But as the city councilor at large, she's there to represent everybody. You can get—I you. I mean, one, I think one can understand, to a certain extent, you know, if someone is a person of color, black or brown, then that person—you know, I think it's natural that the person would want to be present in black and brown communities and, and let those communities know— well, my door is open. But at the end of the day, the door's got to be open for everybody. And so, again, that gets back to my point that we, we now let our, our elected officials do whatever the heck it is that they want to do. Ayanna presley has been making nothing but speeches for about 16 years, and she gets done what she's going to get done which, quite frankly, isn't very much. When she stood up to run against Capuano, which was, <laughs> I mean, she she wasn't fit to tie his shoes. She had done nothing of importance on the council. only thing people could talk about is that she did great work around liquor licenses. Really? and who did and who did that benefit first of all wh- wh- tell me more about this great work <laughs> and second of all if anything really of substance uh, you know anything positive anything of substance came out of her her efforts air quotes who who actually benefited so you had someone on the council for 10 years and people really didn't have too much even her supporters didn't really have too much to say beyond, but her work around liquor licenses, and then, of course, then there was her narrative. We need people in office who care. We need people who run for a position, not to better position themselves for another position, okay? We need people who know what they're talking about, who know what they're doing, and and I don't mind if they learn a certain amount on the job, but they're Job shouldn't essentially be a paid internship. And then let's talk about the activists because I have expectations for the activists too. And so let's uh, let's use the example of Methanol Mile. People want to talk about human trafficking; they don't even know what it is. People want to talk about food insecurity uh, around methadone Mile. Oh, the addicts are hungry. The junkies are hungry. No, they're not. That's not the issue down there. Very recently, uh, I could use one example. I'm not going to because I actually like this person. So I'll put this example in my back pocket. But what I will say is that if you're going to use terms especially ones that relate to crimes. So we're talking legal terms. Please know what you're talking about. And that's all I'll say. Um, But food insecurity, uh, very recently, uh, some of the anti-vaxxers went to methanol mile. And of course, uh, hilarity ensued, right? So... If anyone out there is like, oh, I'm sure there was chaos, well, <laughs> of course there was. And that's why I, I made the, you know, the the lame joke or throughout the line, you know, hilarity, you know, ensued. There are all kinds of people who go down there all the time to give out food on the Methanol mile. But not everybody gets into a confrontation with the security down there. Really, it's just, it's tired, it's old. uh, It's just, its as my my dear departed grandfather would say, it's enough already. You want to do something good, how about this? Why don't you go out down there, put your darn heads down, keep your camera phones off, and just do what you got to do. Help out. But no, uh-uh-uh. That's not what we're gonna have. That's not what the anti-vaxxers are gonna do. That whole crowd and people who who sympathize and run with them. Uh-uh-uh. No, we can't have that. So you had some people who went down there, gave out food, and there was there was there was a confrontation, physical, vis- verbal. Maybe it got a little bit physical. And there's just there's just simply no need. And it happened on Atkinson Street. And for those who are a little less familiar with the geography, on uh, uh you know, in and around Methadoma Mile, Atkinson Street is particularly dangerous. Okay. So those of you who know me personally, you know that I am not into hyperbole. Those of you who have listened to me for uh, a certain length of time now, and, and for the listeners, as always, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to me. Uh, you know, you know that I'm not given to hyperbole. Atkinson Street is dangerous. I'm not a wimp. Like to think of myself as a fairly tough chick. I'm not going to walk down Atkinson Street at night. I'm just not going to do it. I'll walk around other parts of uh, Methadone Mile at night, and I do. But Atkinson Street, ugh, I, I I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And so that was actually where the anti-vaxxers—that's where they got into a confrontation with security that works, you know, around the mile, uh, you know, in that particular part of the mile. And I just said to myself, you know what, these people just go away. I'm tired of the endless round of confrontations, lawsuits, accusations, videos that start after there's been an excessive amount of provocation on their part toward others. uh, So people don't know what happened before. They only see what happened after. But again, they don't know what happened before or that there was a before. So these anti-vaxxers get to really create their own narrative. And often, more often than not, and I'm being very generous here, it, it bears little resemblance to reality. So it's just, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of this race to the bottom uh, mentality uh, that that people have embraced, uh, particularly on the political right, to get ahead. And And, you know, this race to the bottom, I don't know where that bottom is because it doesn't seem like there's a bottom. Because every time I look at something and I shake my head and say, you, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's just not possible. I see something that's even worse. That makes my, my lower jaw drop even more. And I just, I'm stunned. It's enough already. Okay. So for the activist too, if you're going to stand up, and try to make a difference, make a difference. You don't need to do it in front of the cameras. You certainly do not need to be making a scene of causing commotion. And above all, you really need to know what you're talking about. Again, don't, as I I started to say at the top of the show, as I did say at the top of the show, and I think rather forcefully, you can't, expect the spotlight, you can't expect to command the spotlight, expect people to listen to you, and you, quite frankly, have nothing to say. And as I said, this is why Boston's at a standstill, because between the politicians that I described, that I've been describing throughout tonight's show, and these activists, you have people... That, again, like the cameras, they like content for their social media accounts. They like to be quoted. They like to be known. They like to be able to hold FaceTime with other people that they deem as important as they are. And they're not important at all. At all. But what they don't do is make an actual difference. And what they don't do is offer solutions. And what they don't do is show at any point in time that they actually care about the people. I'm tired. We've let Boston, which is such a serious city that has produced some wonderful, fabulous thinkers, some incredible, creative, wildly imaginative people— We're now overrun by narcissistic, empty-headed nobodies. We need to reclaim that. And when when I say that, I mean the terrain, the city, all of it. And that's how we're going to get Boston to move forward. Everything doesn't have to be cerebral, but we need people who are serious. We need people who know what we, what they're talking about. We need people who just, as I said, who care, who if they can't sympathize, they're more than willing to empathize. And one of the ways to get there is to offer more choice. And how do we do that? Oh, here we go again. I'm going to beat another familiar drum. We need political and intellectual plurality. Now, I've been going for a while here, and we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to ride out the rest of the show, where I'm going to talk once again about political choice and how unbelievably important it is to have it. Because without it, again— Boston is going to be at a standstill. And it's really not Boston at just Boston at the end of the day. It's the whole of the Commonwealth. But let's go to that quick break first. If you are struggling to afford Internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify, and how to enroll at fcc.gov slash ACP, or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at SheCanSTEM. A message from the Ad Council. Are you a veteran or do you know a veteran who is struggling with housing due to COVID-19? Veterans, Inc. can help provide support services, including assistance with rent, deposits, utilities, as well as emergency housing, including hotel stays to eligible struggling veterans. If you or someone you know is in need of services, please call 1-800-482-2565 or go online to www.veteransinc.org. Welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselin. For those of you who have been listening, thank you ever so much. Uh, you are listening to me, to Bostonian Rap, uh, on <laughs> WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is very much Boston's community radio station. So we took a quick break. And I did say that when we came back, we were going to ride out today's show, tonight's show, by talking about the need for political plurality. And so some people might be saying, well, gee, Rachel, you've been talking about this a lot. And yes, I have. And I will be talking about it a lot more. I will continue to talk about it because this is really something that I feel like I'm on a mission. <laughs> and uh it's it's <laughs> I, you know there i'm paraphrasing there's that there's that saying that you know you plant a tree and you know later generations will enjoy the shade and i mean you know i certainly hope to be able to i myself enjoy some of the fruits <laughs> of my labor um, that I'm putting toward, um, that I want to put toward, and helping out any way I can in, in, in really kind of helping to build this two-party state. Um, but certainly I, I, I want people, generations after me, to have choices that I really haven't always had, that I don't have. And so I wanted to really kind of, to really kind of make people see more what I'm seeing. I don't want I never want people to think that I'm just ranting. I never want people to think that uh, I'm hating on anybody, that um, I haven't entertained other points of view. When I say something, I say it with meaning, uh, with with emotion, uh, because I really believe it. It comes from a place of conviction. I talk about people and things, but particularly people, and I can do it with a sufficient amount of objectivity because I want my point I want whatever I'm trying to say, I want that to not just survive, but to be very much the the focal point. I don't want it to get lost in anything that takes away from what I hope is its strength or what I see as its strength. And Part of the reason why I speak with such conviction is because I do entertain other points of view. And I have friends who don't necessarily agree with what I have to say. I remember one time making a point, and it's not important, you know, to say exactly what the point <laughs> was. Um, but I'm laughing because a girl I went to high school with, with whom I'm still friendly, she's she's lovely, um, and... <laughs> She she commented so it was a post on Facebook and she commented. She goes, Are you serious? And I just I thought it was funny because <laughs> I was serious. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 okay that she didn't agree with me. It was quite okay. It was very okay. And and the fact that she felt comfortable enough to express it publicly so that other people could see it. And, and, and the fact that, and this is, I think, probably the most important thing of all, that we're still friends, that's, you know, that, that makes me happy, and, and I think that that's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. Um, but we need, we need to have that two-party system. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing, you know, the rah-rah, woo-hoo, Amy Carnavale. Like, you know, I wasn't her, (laughs) a part of her cheering squad at all. But I want to see her succeed. She's now in that position. I want to see her succeed. It's as simple as that. And it's funny because, you know, I am... I don't. I don't. I. I I want people to know this. I don't comment on everything that I hear and see, and so because I. I think I'm a fairly prolific presence online. I think that people believe that. At the end of the day, uh, you know, as long as they check in on me, on. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is where I have the presence, um, uh, TikTok, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm all set. Um, <laughs> but Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I think they probably feel like, well, as long as I check in every so often, I have a pretty good handle on everything that she's thinking. And you, <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised, like you, uh, dear listeners, um, how much I don't say right um but I do I do spend a lot of time reading what different people say about different issues uh and different formats and in different uh, mediums media I uh I, you know I, I like to be well informed and I like to surround myself with uh, a broad uh, spectrum of 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 uh, ideas, voices. So I, you know, I just kind of like sit back and and, and take things in. I, I do want to kind of comment before I, I, I say more in, in this segment. I see a lot of people who are um, talking about rhinos and, you know, calling other people rhinos. And of course, or I shouldn't say, of course, for people who are less um, up on the foolishness. I wish I wasn't so uh, uh, in tune or aware of all the buffoonery um, that that kind of goes on uh, in, in the political world, especially in, in my political camp. Uh, you know, when someone is referred to as a rhino, that means Republican in name only. And... You know, I had never been referred to as a rhino until very recently. So uh, some people who are aligned with Jim Lyons, so the former chair of the Republican Party, uh, have referred to me as a rhino. And and I'm laughing because I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned because if I hadn't stood up to run against Diana Presley... No one would have. I stand up, and then you've got three or four other people who want to, you know, who want to give it a whirl. It it was really, (laughs) it was really quite something. If I had not been, or well, yes, if I had not been speaking about Republicanism, Republican values all these years, a lot of people would not have really had much contact with a republican or any kind of rhetoric they wouldn't have been as familiar with with rhetoric that is favorable <laughs> to 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 republicanism republican core values i, I mean i say that because It's not everyone who listens to Howie Carr. Not everyone listens to Howie Carr. Not everyone reads Howie Carr. I mean, I'm not saying this to disparage Howie Carr, but it's not like he's mingling with all kinds of different people. I mingle with all kinds of different people. There have been times when I've been in a room, and I'm going to tell you I'm the only one with the ideas that I have. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, you know, I've never really sat down and talked to a Republican before. You're the first one. So I'm not saying that I'm a hero. My goodness gracious, no, not at all. So I don't want anyone to walk away from tonight's show thinking that that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that with literally having no choice— Unless it's every four years, so constitutional office, or uh, we're talking about nonpartisan city council races and mayoral race. I don't have anyone to vote for. Not because the choices are poor, but literally I have no choice. Yet I remain Republican. And yet I go into these different spaces where Howie Carr is not going. And again, that's not to, to, to it's not a put down a Howie Carr. Okay? Because you know, he's on one path, I'm on another. Okay? But it's just the point is is that Everywhere I go, I take my values with me. And some of my values are very much, well, a lot of my values are very much in line with the core values of the Republican Party. And so for people to call me a rhino, I I mean, that's just disgusting. And, and you know, I'm out there supporting people in different parts of the state. And I've been doing this for years. I've given money. I've given time. I've had different people on my show who are Republican, people from all parts of the spectrum in the Republican Party. So people who, who are more conservative, people who are more liberal, people who are in between. I just, I, you know, people like to say things just to say them. Uh, I, I have to say. But let me just leave you with this. We have to have a two-party system. And I think I'm going to tell you more people are going to pick up on that because Daniel Allen, who ran for governor, um, she suspended her campaign. But, you know, she just recently said on Twitter that she, when she was on the campaign trail, she heard she was hearing that a lot of people were leaving the state because of lack of affordability. And I wanna leave people with that because lack of affordability is because we have a lack of ideas, because everyone keeps on doing the same thing. It's because we don't have enough diversity of thought. We have no one to push back and say, no, let's try something different. No, that's not the best idea. No, we've already done that and that failed. We need a two party state. So that's one example. And I'm going to, you know, people leaving. Um, So that's that's one, I think, example of of the the adverse, very much adverse consequences of only having uh, a one party system in this state. Uh, But that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, I thank you so much for listening, as always. And I invite you to listen to me next week. Thank you so much for hanging out. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.